to me, supply chains of the future will be steered by human creativity, but powered by AI and intelligent technology. That intersection to me is where supply chains of the future are going. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name is Richard Howells. I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a marketer, blogger, and of course, podcaster in the supply chain space here at SAP. So today you're in store for a great conversation with our guest, Subit Matthew, surrounding the ever-growing buzz of generative AI and the digital transformation journey. So welcome, Subit. Thank you so much for joining us today. And it is so great to have you on the series. If you could just take a moment to introduce yourself, give some insight into your past experiences and your role today. Absolutely. No, thank you, Nicole. And um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Subit Matthew. And I'm a partner in Deloitte's SAP practice based out of the U.S. I have the privilege of leading our SAP supply chain management practice in the U.S. I've been with Deloitte for about 16 years now, been in the SAP space for about 20 plus. I uh, spend most of my time working with companies on strategy, vision, and execution of their digital supply chain and ERP transformations. Uh, Nicole, good to see you again. Richard, it is always great to see you and spend some time. I really look forward to an engaging discussion on the future of supply chains powered by AI. That's great. And you and I have done several of these similar sessions before, so I know we're in for a great conversation. Let's start with a general question. So by now, if you've listened to this podcast series before, you've definitely heard of Gen AI, Generative AI. But I'm sure if you ask 20 different business users to describe it, you'd probably get 20 different answers. So let's get your point of view. In your opinion, what is generative AI? And what's the difference between Gen I and good old-fashioned AI? It's a great question, Richard. I'll start off by saying that I truly believe that we are at the cusp of the next industrial revolution powered by Gen AI, right? But when I think about AI, AI as a technology has existed for a while. So what is really different with Gen AI? And perhaps the best way to describe it is, if you look at the evolution of AI, it started with primarily machine learning, right? Which is all about algorithms that can look at data and make informed decisions. Think of things like basic predictive analysis, pattern recognition, basic chatbots, et cetera. And then comes along what was considered deep learning, which is algorithms that can not only look at the data, but they can also simulate human reasoning to make some decisions. A great example of this is image recognition, digital twins that we often see in the supply chain space, simulations of planning that we often see in the supply chain space. Whereas now, I think with Gen AI and large language models, what we really have are algorithms that can do all of the above, but also generate net new data, net new ways of working that have not existed before. This could have been done in the past as well, but what that would mean is organizations would need to make massive investments to build these models. Well, what's happened now is that these large language models are available and now it's all about how do you take these models 
that have been trained on billions of parameters and apply them to drive business outcomes. That to me is the continuum of Gen AI. That's interesting. I just learned what Gen AI is. So this is amazing. I'm going to use that definition from now on. I think you nailed it. We'll make sure to credit you anytime we do. But it is, it's such a buzzword and you hear it going around in uh, different conferences and conversations. So it is so interesting to finally actually learn what it is. So thank you. But, you know, you do hear nowadays kind of embracing AI and the holistic transformation can seem kind of daunting to companies. Many may feel as though they're not in an advanced enough spot to really tackle this and take it on. So what are some things that they should be asking themselves leading into this? And how are companies approaching the deployment of AI in their organization? So maybe I'll start with a line, right? I have a colleague who leads some of the Gen AI initiatives at Deloitte, and he has a beautiful line that encapsulates this. He says, AI is all about doing things that you did before differently mm-hmm. and doing different things things that you didn't even know how to do before, right? So if that's the lens that you apply on this, right? What I see often is I work with a lot of companies that are looking at piloting AI initiatives and companies that do this right, they start by really segmenting their AI strategy into maybe three value plays, right? The simplest value play is an efficiency play. How can you drive organization to be more efficient, do the things that you do today in a different, more accelerated fashion, right? From a supply chain lens, if you look at things like inventory analysis, for example, if you look at supply demand balancing, these are things that you can make more efficient in today's world. That's probably the simplest play that I see companies go after. A little bit more complex is when companies start to go after experience plays, which is all about using Gen AI to create a different experience for your own employees, but also for your customers, right? Mm -hmm. Again, putting a supply chain lens on this, imagine that I am a sourcing analyst and my activity of qualifying suppliers and looking at information about suppliers and deciding who are the right ones for my organization to use. Can you change that experience for me and make it more intuitive, right? Likewise, can you change the experience for a customer of your organization? And then the third one, which in my mind is probably the more complex one, is where you're looking at developing a capability that you've previously not had in the organization. As an example, I spend a lot of time talking to a life sciences client of ours who's actually looking at using Gen AI to do protein modeling and simulation and actually, you know, use it in their research and development process. That's stuff that's out there that previously maybe organizations are not able to do. Mm -hmm. So net-net to me, having a very purposeful approach around where you want to start as an organization and drive the most value is probably the, the first step in starting that journey. That's great. And I think even just having those three pillars to rely on and follow is more than what many can say. So to follow on to that, we've had the foundation, we have the stepping stones. Say they're finally there, they're ready, they want AI, they want it implemented and embedded in their processes. What are some of the key ways that companies can then really fully embrace this transformation? And of course, really, how does a company even get started on this journey? Like I said, because it can be kind of daunting. 
It truly is, right? I mean, we are at the forefront of technology that is truly next generation, right? But to your question, I'd say like this, right? I think any organization starting an AI journey have to look at their AI strategy in terms of two vectors, right? Vector number one, what is their ability to execute? And vector number two, what is the business impact that it is going to drive? And the reason I say it that way is with AI, you can very quickly convert it into a series of science projects that actually don't lead to a tangible business outcome. So having that strategy is critical. A lot of clients are actually looking at establishing AI center of excellence, which really look at it from multiple perspectives, right? So what is the right governance model you want to put in place around what initiatives do you even prioritize, right? How do you quantify the value of what you want to go after, the use cases you want to go after, right? What is the technology fabric that you're going to use to accomplish this? And I think that's where, you know, ERP platforms such as SAP, if you combine them with some of the large language models out there, it opens itself up to doing really remarkable things, right? So what's the platform that you're going to use to deliver this capability? And lastly, kind of what's the operating model and talent strategy that you're going to put around AI? I was in an interesting conversation with an early career person in our team, and he asked me a question, said, do you think Gen AI is going to take away our jobs in the future? Yeah, it's a very poignant question. And my response to her was, you know, Gen AI is not going to take away your job, but the person that knows how to use Gen AI is the one that's going to take away your job, right? So there's a very interesting talent aspect to this whole thing. So th that would be my lens on how to kind of think about it and get started. It's interesting you say that because you said at the start, you think this could be the next industrial revolution with Gen AI. And each industrial revolution didn't take away jobs. It took away certain jobs, but created other jobs. It was always something else, the next iteration. And that's, I think, the case here, as you pointed out. If you know how to take advantage of Gen AI, you can become the person who's in demand, not eliminated. Exactly. Well, we're already one step ahead after talking to you today. So we're already on our way there to being the, the master of Gen AI. But I do have an additional question here. Looking now that we have a good understanding of what it is, the foundational aspects of Gen AI, how it's going to be implemented. What are some of the benefits once they really get to, you know, have that full operational AI embedded in their technology? So maybe I can talk about it from a lens of supply chain and manufacturing, right? To me, effective deployment of Gen AI or AI in general is about how do you augment humans, right? To Richard's point, how do you augment your workforce to do things better? And then how do you actually maybe automate humans? And I say that a little tongue in cheek, but the spirit of what I'm trying to get to is in, can you actually free up capacity for folks to go focus on more value-added activities and let the platform run with everything else, right? Specific to supply chain, I probably see five or six main use cases that are being piloted by different organizations out there. I see a lot of use cases around supplier and procurement, if I may. I do see a lot of use cases around regulatory compliance, quality, et cetera, et cetera. 
Business planning is another area where we're starting to see a lot of clients experiment with Gen AI, factory operations, sustainability, intelligent product design. These are some of the kind of marquee ideas that we see out there, right? And if I were to pick on maybe one or two just to quantify the, the value around it, right? Speaking to an organization recently that is looking at how do they get towards autonomous planning, right? So if you look at platforms such as IBB, which have traditionally been phenomenal at supply-demand balancing, but all of your planning platforms are looking to solve for a certain set of supply chain events and what is the best way to make your supply chain work with those events, right? But Imagine if you can actually take the platform like IDP, put AI on top of it, and be able to simulate any and all supply chain events that could happen. That way you have a set of answers before it actually even happens, if you think about it, right? So just imagine the power that something like that drives, right? I mean, you're talking 10 to 20% accelerated ability to respond to your supply chain, which is phenomenal for an organization. So true value to be driven out of this. Yeah, because you see in the planning system, you get a specific response usually based on what's gone into it. But if you can get a range of those responses, then you can pick and choose based on 20 different simulations for that one run. Exactly. I mean, when we talk about AI and you listen to news segments about AI, sometimes it's really exciting stuff, but sometimes it's the challenge of AI. It's impersonating other people and scamming the elderly, for example. So when we talk about business systems, what should companies be mindful of as they look to transform their supply chains with AI and to do things differently and do different things? I love that phrase, by the way. I'd say there's probably four or five things that come to mind, you know, when we look at the considerations of AI. Um, so maybe let me start with, to me, what is the most important, which is what is the business use and the business use case you're going to deploy with AI, right? Like we were talking earlier, it's very easy to convert it into a science project. So having a framework that you're using to evaluate your initiatives, prioritize the right one, probably a key consideration. That's the typical technology challenge. I, this new, wonderful, shiny tool, what can I do with it? And it should always be the other way around. What business problem can I solve? Or which capabilities do I need to solve that problem? Exactly, exactly. No, 100%. But what's unique about AI is it brings certain additional considerations that previously maybe organizations didn't have to worry about. A great example of that is bias. Because at the end of the day, your AI models truly are a function of the training data that is available to them, right? So how do you provide, how do you make sure your data is neither under or overrepresented and you're not biasing the model in a certain direction, yeah. right? And I think that's also where your large ERP platforms like SAP, for example, if you look at any organization that runs SAP, I mean, yeah. 70 to 80% of everything that they do runs through the system, right? So how do you effectively mine that information to feed your data models or your AI models? Ethical use, right? Because AI, to your point, Richard, is something that can be used to circumvent organizational policies, laws, regulations, etc. So how do you set up the right guardrails around AI so that it doesn't get you in the newspapers, for lack of better words, right? How do you protect your IP? 
Because as you can imagine, the power of AI comes when you have large language models that can work with your data. But how do you make sure that your IP is protected and your data is not publicly made available? That comes with some very interesting kind of technology considerations around it, right? And perhaps the last one I'll hit upon, which is also my favorite, because I really like this term, is AI has a tendency to hallucinate. It's actually a real word used in the context of AI, right? Uh, because it is very possible that your AI models could start to output facts that are not real just because of how they're processing the information. So how do you put the, the right framework and technology in place to make sure that your AI is not driving down a path that is hallucinatory, even if that's a, that's a real word? So those are some kind of interesting considerations, I think, that have come up around AI. Mm -hmm. So... Kind of going on the fact of that, because I do find it interesting because I forget who I was talking to, but recently we had that exact conversation, how there was bits and pieces where once it has false information in there, it then just keeps building upon it and it's just growing and growing and growing. And then you start to kind of question and challenge how accurate that is. So those guardrails are to make it not hallucinate. Is that human that goes in there and really puts that in place? Like, how do they make sure that that doesn't happen, I guess, from an actual technology. And also that's related to the security mm -hmm. within the system and who's got access to the data. Because I could ask a question that I don't have access to the data to do that. Mm -hmm. So there has to be those boundaries and built into the system to control what information is shared based on levels of authority and so on. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And to, to what you're saying, Nicole, it is a complex problem to solve, mm -hmm. right? And the technology is so new that candidly, many organizations are still trying to understand the, the limitations, if I may, or the possibilities, if I may, right? My experience has been that in most cases, it's a combination of having good governance mm -hmm. along with a certain degree of human intervention because you do need that human insight. Yes. But also then having platforms that allow you to write rules, to write checks and balances into the system that help keep it on the right path, right? Stealing from my favorite Spider-Man line, it says, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? <laughs> yeah, so. For sure. Especially, I think it's only going to be growing as AI continues to grow. But it'll be good. And, All good power. So lots of responsibility, and, though, like you said. And, Another example that I think is really cool is the fact that it leverages human language. So I was on a, another of these sessions a few weeks ago, actually, and there were four different speakers and all four of us, our first languages were different. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, they all went to my lowest common denominator to speak English so that I would understand what was going on, because most of it's both multiple languages, obviously. Right. But being able to ask a question in your language, in your words, and get a in my case, much more intelligent response back than the question that I would have provided, I think is huge from a user experience and usability perspective. I don't know if you're seeing that in any of the use cases that you're coming across. Well, absolutely am, Richard. And I think what ends up happening is, I think now we live in a world where there is so much data available with our systems that it often becomes hard to synthesize into information that is actionable, right? And I think that's your point, one of the places where AI can make a big difference. And I'll actually use an example. I have an organization that I'm talking to that's actually looking at some data healing using AI. So imagine a scenario where you need to understand a certain 
amount of inventory, where it is in your network and what's the demand on it. Now, you can go run, you know, four reports that show you all bits and pieces of information, but it's really hard for a time-constrained business user to be able to consume that and interpret what it's exactly trying to say, right? So being able to actually ask a human language-based question and have the tool use the data and actually give you a response that, you know, X is supposed to happen and why is the demand on it makes it more actionable. Now, I will say that we are in the early stages of experimenting with this. So, you know, nobody has a completely fleshed out answer, but those are some of the things people are trying. Mm -hmm. It's also going to be a question of whether you have to train the system to weed out how questions are asked or train the user to ask the right questions as well. Because I think that by the way that I ask a question, I could build bias into the answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, knowing how to prompt an AI model is actually going to become a skill as fundamental as Excel or PowerPoint is in the business world. I, I think that's where it's going to go. As I often told my children, use your words. <laughs> how you use your words are very important. They're way too old for me to say that. I used to say that. <laughs> well, I'm glad they learned. So don't know. <laughs> You know, Subi, you speak a lot about these different use cases and different customers, and I'm sure you have so many different examples of how you've already been implementing this Gen AI into their systems. So what are some of the ways that like you and your company, Deloitte, are helping customers transform with AI and, as you said, do things differently and do different things? Which, again, is also one of my favorite quotes I've heard. <laughs> I'll make sure I let my colleague know that that phrase is a hit. I'll say probably a couple of things that we're doing in the marketplace, right? So number one, a lot of organizations that I work with are in the early stages of their AI journey. Everybody's trying to figure out how to effectively deploy it, right? So a large part of what we do is actually working with clients to envision how AI can disrupt their business in a positive way and what are the use cases that can drive to higher value. Just going through that kind of use case discovery analysis prioritization process. There's, of course, other clients where we are doing technology work with them to bring these use cases to life, right? It would be vain of me to think that AI is not going to disrupt our own business, software and services, right? And so there's a lot of work that we're doing to look at ways in which we can actually deliver transformations for our clients faster and get them to faster time to value. Can we use some of the capability out there to change how programs are driven, to really change how you engage with the business as you do one of these transformations? And then there are a, a lot of other clients that are taking a much more COE-driven approach to this because even they recognize that they're not 100% sure of how to do this yet. So the right thing to do is set up a center of excellence that can tailor the AI strategy for your own organization. So those are some examples of things that we're doing with clients. And it has tremendous potential, but you've got to think very carefully about how you enable a future with those possibilities. Absolutely agree. And again, you started with what's the business challenge that I'm trying to solve? Because you've got to start with that use case in mind. Indeed. Well, Stupet, as with every conversation I have ever had with you, the time has simply flown by and we're at the end of the podcast. 
And I'm really excited to hear your answer for the last question that we ask all of our guests. So from your perspective, what is the future of supply chain? Great question. To me, supply chains of the future will be steered by human creativity, but powered by AI and intelligent technology. That intersection, to me, is where supply chains of the future are going. That's our quote for the day. So, thanks for a great conversation. It's been wonderful. Always a pleasure, Richard. <laughs> and I am sure that you will be welcomed back whenever you'd like. Absolutely. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Please mark us as a favorite. You can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Subit, Nicole and I, thanks for discussing the future of supply chain.